Well, good morning. If you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, we're on page 792 in the Blue Bible that's in front of you. Also, if you would like, there's a bucket in the back for pens if you find yourself wanting to write or fill in to follow along. I'd be glad to have you do that. Um, Have you guys ever been a part of a heated conversation? I ask that question because I figure most of you have. If you've lived very long, you've been a part of a heated conversation. It doesn't take long. I mean, you just have to have siblings, right? Uh, Or you have children. Or, quite frankly, as you grow up, you just have to have parents. And somewhere along the line, you have heated conversations. And uh, have you ever noticed one of those heated conversations going downhill really fast? And you start to feel it slipping and it's dropping and you're going, oh no. And if your desire is for resolve and your desire is for unity and for peace, you've maybe thought in your heart or maybe even said, hear my heart on the matter. Like, just let's pause for a minute. I, I want you to hear my heart. And when we say that, we're not really saying, would you hear the tick-tock, tick-tock going on inside? But what we're saying is, would you please listen beyond just what I said? Would you hear the tone that I'm saying it? Would you see the context in which I'm saying it? Would you see the long history of my love? Would you hear my heart on the matter? And in fact, when we say that, we're saying is, would you listen to the root heart of the matter, and it's like we're pulling them in, grabbing their hand and saying, I love you, would you please hear me? And unless you seek to understand somebody's heart when you're in one of those heated conversations, communication is going to break down. That's just the fact of the matter. If you live very long, you know you have to choose to understand or seek to understand the heart and where they're coming from. And I think that same is true in our relationship with God, that we have to seek to understand his heart as we read scripture, because we'll soon be tempted to think that God is holding out on us. Adam and Eve, God gave a command not to eat of the fruit, and they soon believed very quickly that God was holding out on them. And that as we understand God's heart in the matter, We understand when God says don't, he says don't hurt yourself. Because God's heart of the matter is, he loves us, he's drawing us closer to him, and he's bringing us closer to him for his glory. And that is our good. And so when we understand God's heart of the matter, we can actually hear his commands more clearly, and we can enjoy that relationship a whole lot more, even in times of discipline. So as we look at Matthew chapter 11 today, I want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, Matthew 5 through 8 is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Our Kingdom Seekers Adult Bible Fellowship has been covering this Sermon on the Mount. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see that God's ways are very different than ours. They're just very, very, very different. Uh, Very quickly on in uh, chapter 5, we see instead of Jesus, God's Son, coming in human flesh to lay down more rules on us, he actually says, I came to fulfill the law requirement on you. He goes on to say in chapter 5 that murder and adultery are not just physical actions, but they're things that go on inside the brain. There's things that go on inside the mind. 
In chapter 6, Jesus says that true spirituality is humble. Staying humble. Chapter 7, he says, there's no room to judge. God is our judge. And that there's a wonderful privilege that he's not just a God to fear, but he's a God that we can take our requests to. And he ends in chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, this idea that the broad road or the masses that are moving in one direction are not moving in the right direction. Because everybody's doing it does not mean it's the right way. It's actually the wrong way. It's the error way. And then in chapters 8 through 10, there's a series of interactions with Christ. After he does his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a significant number of people that are approaching Christ with huge health issues. Chapters 8 through 10, there's just massive health issues. There's people in their faith journey trusting him for certain things. And then we go on to see that he actually communicates what it costs to follow him. That Jesus did not paint the picture that you follow me and your life gets easy, but there's a cost to actually being associated with Christ here on earth. And that there's a cost and that there's a huge harvest. There's great opportunity for doing ministry and following Christ and bringing people closer to him. But there's few workers and that there are times it will be incredibly difficult and that you'll experience rejection. I give this to you as a backdrop, as a a setting for chapter 11, because if you've experienced health issues, maybe perhaps you've jumped on the treadmill of thinking that somehow you're going to try to uh, attain God's approval through your actions. Or maybe your faith journey has been particularly hard in the context of relationships. Or maybe your marriage or parenting Maybe being associated with Christ has cost you something dearly with family. Or perhaps you're being weighed down by the world and its system. Or maybe perhaps you've carried this false guilt that you trust in Christ as Savior, but somehow God doesn't accept you. I want to invite you guys to hear God's heart unfold this morning as we read. Because I believe that when you hear and understand God's heart on the matter... It changes the dynamic of our relationship with him. And as you understand his heart, it really changes how you read God's word. So we're going to see in chapter 11 where Jesus opens up with a prayer. And I'm going to pray asking God to reveal to us the heart of the matter. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we come to it in humility We recognize that apart from your spirit, we can understand nothing that you've shared and revealed to us. So I pray that we would grasp in these next moments the heart of the matter of what you, Jesus, have said to us. And that we submit to you so that we can have a deeper understanding of your heart and then we can walk more in a love-trust relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's on page 792. Let's pick it up in verse 25. It says this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here we have it in verse 25. Jesus actually starts off with a prayer and he says, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth. So here he's quickly acknowledging in the public realm here that God is sovereignly in control over, le- over heaven and earth and even in the crowds who have at times opposed him. So he addresses the Father as being sovereign over heaven and earth. And he says, why? Because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. So we see from the words of Jesus that you cannot understand and experience God's heart by higher education or more learning or more reading. And no doubt in these crowds, the Pharisees, the religious leaders or the educated were standing there. And there's always been a religious, I would call it religious elite, who based upon their higher learning, feel that they have a deeper understanding of God's heart on the matter. Now as I talk about this, I had to take some time and look in the mirror this week in the office. Because I have a Bible school education, and I'm standing here teaching you all. And I had to take a moment and say, Father, I come to you As a child, please help me to understand and trust you like a child and come to you in simple faith. So I want you to know, as I'm sharing this with you, I had to take moments in my office of like, palms up, Lord, help me understand this and depend on you and not approach this from just an educational point of view, but as a view of humility. So we know that through education you can accumulate more information, but it doesn't mean that you're understanding God's heart more and more. In fact, the text says, he says, I praise you, Father, for you've hidden these things from the wise or the learned. So what's necessary for us to understand and experience God's heart on tough circumstances? I want to give it to you right up front. You guys can write it in here. God's heart is revealed only to those who approach him with simple faith of a child. You guys can write that in there. As he says there, he says, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you revealed them to little children. When asked about who is the greatest in God's kingdom, this is what Jesus actually said, and I think it's very enlightening to help you understand the heart of God when it comes to children. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like one of the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If that's offensive to you, that's the words of Jesus. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's pretty serious. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. 
It's getting pretty serious here. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So here's the heart of the matter. You see, Jesus says it. Unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Pretty clear? God's heart on the matter? God's heart is very different and His ways are very different than ours. And that we see that Jesus actually values coming to Him in humility, simple faith, and simply trusting His love in what He says. And I want to ponder for a moment what children are like. In fact, I see that children have a quite simple faith. You know, we've got five kids. And my kids, all up to there about five or six, when they would stand on the steps, I would say, jump, dad will catch you. And up until five or six, they would jump. And all of them but our youngest, Willow, stopped doing that about age five. They started having experiences. They started thinking, can dad be trusted, right? Right? Now my willow, who's going to be eight next month, just a couple weeks ago, jumped off the step and said, Dad, catch. I almost like dislocated a disc in my back trying to catch her, right? But children, especially the younger they are, have a simple faith that says, Dad will catch me. Daddy, I love you. Or when Daddy says he loves you, children don't stop and say, I wonder why my dad loves me. They just accept the fact that Dad loves me. You tell them you're going to do something, and the younger they are, they simply believe that you're going to do it. Now, children can be foolish at times, and we as a society don't give them much credit. We don't uh, credit children in our art very much. We don't credit them in our philosophy or our spirituality, uh, because oftentimes we view children as simple. And uh, the truth is, They do have a fairly simple faith, and yet children have a profound faith. And here's why, and I want you to hear this. Children don't base their faith on large amounts of information. Children base their faith on the heart of the person that they're trusting in. Catch that? Children don't base their faith on vast amounts of information. They base their faith on on the heart of the person that they're trusting in. And that God is not impressed with vast amounts of wisdom or knowledge. In fact, his rescue plan of sending Jesus to earth, dying on the cross and rising again and offering eternal life for all who will trust in him alone, that rescue plan can be easily missed because it is quite simple. We overlook it. It's got to be more complicated than that. And yet, it's at the core of what being born again really is about. When Jesus said you have to be born again, it's this idea, there is a return to childhood. It's this idea of coming in simple faith and actually being born again. And so it's at the heart of Jesus to understand that his ways are very different and that we have to come to him with a childlike faith. 
I want to encourage you to turn to page 924 in the Blue Bible, but it's 1 Corinthians 1. I want to read this to you, 1 Corinthians 1. And it gives us the heart of the matter as well. Paul goes on to explain what in the world is God doing when he brought us the gospel, the good news that Christ died and he rose again. And it's really quite simple, and you're going to see this, that his goal was to keep things radically simple, so simple that most of us who don't approach Christ in faith would totally miss it. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Verse 20, where are the wise and where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So catch that? People don't come to God through wisdom. People come to God through faith. In Jesus Christ, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and it's foolishness to Gentiles. So don't be surprised as you share the gospel if people think it's foolish. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And just drop down to verse uh, uh, 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. So the Apostle Paul laid it out. This fact that we can be saved from our sin and reconciled to God, made right with Him, based upon the finished work of Christ on the cross, it is so simple. In fact, the world's going to call it crazy or foolish. Don't be surprised. Jesus says He's hidden these things from the wise or those who we think are wise, and He's revealed it to children. And so the invitation here is as we understand, or as we seek to understand God's heart, we have to come to him as a child. Now, look back in Matthew 11, verse 25. There are two groups he's talking about, the wise and the learned and children. Both of them witnessed the same miracles. Both of them experienced his teaching. One group God hid the message from, one group God revealed. And the word revealed there means it's actually taking off the lid. It's kind of like that, that third grade uh, uh, elementary school teacher who's doing like a lesson or a kid who does show and tell and he's got the old Folgers coffee can and then there's something inside the can and you know you know what I'm talking about where there's little holes poked on top and they want to show you what's inside so it says when it's revealed it's like taking off the lid to show you what's inside and that some, the, somebody's got to pull the lid off for you to see what's inside that can it's here, he says, Father, you've revealed or taken off the lid so that those who come as a child can see what's inside. So my question for you is, which group do you land in? 
Are you approaching God with the faith of a child? Are you seeking to understand and approach God through more information? I want to warn you, the more you know, the more temptation there is to trust in your reason and not simply simply to believe like a child. I want to warn you, the more you read Scripture, you start depending on yourself to interpret. You stop asking the Lord for help to understand. You start using your own resources. I want to warn you, Jesus warns against it. And God reveals or takes off the cover of his heart to those who come to him in simple faith. So why does he do that this way? Well, 1 Corinthians 1 says, so that nobody would boast. But verse 26 actually says it too as well. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. So in other words, it delights the Father to reveal his ways, not to the learned, but to those who come to him in simple faith. In fact, he only reveals to those who come to him in simple faith of a child. Now that word good pleasure actually means good in mind or gracious will or delight or satisfaction or wishful purpose. Good favor, kind intention. It is his kind intention, his delight to reveal himself to those who come to him in childlike faith. Do you catch that? That is the God of the universe who's revealing himself with delight to those who come to him in faith. And if this is how God feels about revealing himself to those who come to him in faith, how awesome is that? And maybe perhaps you've never experienced God's heart in a personal way because there's not been this quiet, palms up, Lord, even in all my doubts, I choose to trust you. Choosing to trust is not a feeling, friends. It's an act of the will. And so I encourage you, if you're one who's skeptical, if you're one who's got doubts, and one you're trying to put all these puzzle pieces together, if you want to understand God's heart, there are, there's a time where you have to calm palms up and say, Lord, I trust you like a child. So how does he do it? We're going to see it in verse 27, but you guys can get your pens out. God's heart is revealed only through Jesus Christ, the Son. And we'll see it in verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So he says, all things have been committed, meaning handed over. Committed is actually the process of handing it over. And God the Father entrusted to Jesus the ability to show us what God the Father is like. And he says that no one knows the Son except the Father, and let's just admit it, let's just, in the body of Christ, let's admit this. It is incredibly difficult, perhaps impossible, for us to really wrap our minds around the Incarnation, the God-man, God coming in human flesh, living among us, being fully God, fully man, like us without sin. Anybody have a hard time understanding that one? Let's just acknowledge that right up front. That's the teaching of Christ. That's who he is. And we acknowledge that the Father fully understands that. 
we cannot fully understand that. But he goes on to say, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, Jesus is the only one capable of adequately showing us what the Father is like. And make no mistake, Jesus was really clear on his view on how he showed us what the Father was like. We see it in John. John 10.30 says, He claimed that I and the Father are one. And here he is actually talking to Thomas, and he says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Check out what Christ says. Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So according to the words of Jesus, how do you know what the Father's like? You look to the Son, Jesus Christ. He had no question about it. He was the direct representation of what God the Father was like. And that you have to look to Jesus if you want to understand the heart of God. So check this out. If the message of Jesus, God coming in human flesh, that's what we're celebrating this month, living among us, taking on our sins and sorrows, dying on the cross, rising again. If that is a representation of God's heart, and then he offers sinful, rebellious people forgiveness of sins through the payment of his Son, what does that tell you about God's heart? What does it tell you about God's heart? He's kind and loving for sure. So the entire life, the ministry, the sacrifice, and the words of Christ were meant to reveal God's heart. And I want to call you, as a believer in Christ, to fix your gaze on Christ in the Christian life. Scripture teaches, as the eyes go, so does the body. And that we look to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, but we actually become like Christ when we fix our gaze on Christ because we find out what God the Father's like and we become like Him as we fix our eyes on Christ. We'll go on to see, and the third point is this, God's heart is experienced personally and experienced personally only when we accept Christ's invitation to come by faith and take his yoke. We'll see it in verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we have to come to God with the faith of a child to understand his heart. We have to look to Christ to understand his heart. And then verse 28, we have to come to him. And like every lame or sick person in chapters 8 through 10, who had to exercise faith or come to Christ to experience his healing, we too must come to Christ. 
And we don't come to him for, for, with a list of rules and regulations that he piles upon us, but we come to him through the person of Christ. And there are many in our church family who hear this teaching again and again and again who are wandering far from God, who have not found rest in the Christ the Messiah. And here he's extending an invitation to come to him, and he extends that gracious invitation on a daily basis today. So the question is, who's to come? Look at the text. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. That phrase or that word burden is a heavy laden or it's like loading up a donkey before going up on a trip. So picture a donkey just loaded down. That's the understanding of being burdened. And those who have their life together, those who think they can get, you know, get their act together or think that they are fine are not invited here. But only those who are weary and heavy with the burden of their sin. Perhaps you've read the Old Testament law and you've seen that the law reveals, actually the law is meant to actually be a mirror to help us understand that we violated and sinned against the holy God. It's actually meant to show us that we've got this heavy burden on our neck called our sin and we can't be good enough. And that people who think they can keep God's laws for entrance into heaven don't experience the heart of God here. But the Old Testament law was created to create a loss of hope, to send us on a search for having our burdens lifted. And the gospel or the good news is only good news for those who actually recognize their need of forgiveness, who actually come with, or who are weary and are burdened. And in fact, I don't know if you've read it, but the book Pilgrim's Progress, it's written by John Bunyan back in the 1600s, but it's essentially a story of a man who becomes aware of his sin and he becomes aware of this giant burden that weighs down on his neck. And nobody else can see this burden, but he can see it and feel this massive burden that weighed him down. And it's written, written in, in the six, uh, 1600s, so there's some kind of King James English. And I want to encourage you, actually, you can pick up the book Little Pilgrim's Progress. I read it for my kids. It's written like at about an adult level now. And I cried my way through the book. My kids were almost laughing, like kind of chuckling at me that there were so many illustrations that were so true to life. But Christian, and his name is Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, finds his way uh, to the hill. And at the top of the hill is the cross. And when he gets to the cross and he bends his knee in faith, he actually feels the weight of the burden roll off his back. And as I read that book to my children, I remember the day that I came to faith in Christ. And I remember feeling so free. Does anybody remember the freedom that you had when you came to understand that Christ died and he rose again for you? And you just, it's like, thank you, Lord. Anybody in this room remember those feelings? Don't ever grow tired of that. Remember that. Because Christ says here, I, he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. And he makes a promise, I will give you rest. Now, if you remember back to that day that you came to faith in Christ, giving you rest did not mean that your life becomes easy. His promise of rest here is for those who come to him to have their burdens lifted. He's the burden lifter. 
And this promise is really tied to the Old Testament promise that God promises rest through the Messiah for the nation of Israel. And in contrast, the religious leaders were like smacking down and pressing down rules on people and actually harming them. But the nation of Israel did not experience physical rest. If anything, if you look at the history of Israel, they've experienced unrest. In fact, it's tied to that, but we typically think of his promise of rest as vacation, but the rest is something holistically different. I've got a question for you. Where do you go when you're in search of rest? Most of us go home. Most of us go to bed. Some of us at the end of the day needing rest will turn on Netflix and binge on Netflix. Some of us open the fridge and overeat. Some of us can't wait till that vacation for that rest. Some of us turn to medication. All these things can provide temporary rest. A lot of times they don't. They give you a false idea of rest. But we essentially go to bed hoping for some rest. And the momentary rest we get in the physical life is very momentary because you find yourself jumping back in bed every night searching for that rest. We know that none of these things provide lasting rest. It's a vain search. And here Christ is promising rest But it's a different type of rest. Let's read it. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What kind of rest is that? He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's a picture of a yoke. looks something like this. It's what oxen are burdened with to be able to pull a load. And yokes were a word picture that illustrated the weight of following a particular Old Testament or Jewish rabbi. And in rabbinic literature, uh, it was the idea behind it is if you followed a rabbi, you followed his teachings. Uh, you followed the, the Torah, the law. And essentially, as you were following this rabbi, you began, my words, but you began to look and act and smell like the rabbi. You took on his teaching and you became like him. And Jesus, the rabbi... He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. And it's like he's saying is, get in this yoke with me and experience life with me. And as you get and follow close with me, you're going to find what he says. You're going to find some things about me. I don't lay burdens on you. I am gentle. Says it here, I'm humble in heart. And you'll experience rest for your soul. And it's like he's saying, it's my yoke will not weigh you down, but it actually will draw you closer and lift you up. And we know from the beginning of the Bible where God is dwelling with man, and we see that as sin separated us from God, Emmanuel, we celebrate Christ coming, God with us. And you see at the end of Revelation, God says, look, I've made my dwelling place with man And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's actually saying, come with me, do life with me. It's 
the question I have for you is, does this match your current view of the heart of God? It's not a promise of simply easing your life or lifting your suffering. And there are many, I got, I, I'm just going to say it, there are many who have a relatively good life but do not have rest for their souls. Oftentimes what we call an ease of life creates more complications in our life. I've experienced and seen those who have a very complicated, difficult, troublesome life, but who have restful souls. And if you come across a restful soul, it's a beautiful thing. There are many Christians disillusioned in their spiritual life because they think being in a relationship with God is a promise of God that he makes their life easier or prosperity or a light life. And when they read this passage, they say, okay, God, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to find rest for my soul. And they find out that the, uh, the struggling marriage or the children problems or the financial problems don't go away. And they become disillusioned because how come I'm not experiencing rest? Friends, no one is exempt from suffering. Not even those yoked with Christ. You're not exempt from suffering. But this is what we find when we're yoked with Christ. You experience God's heart for the weary. You experience God's heart to give you rest in your soul. You experience that God is gentle. You experience freedom. You experience that Christ is right along with you in your suffering. You experience peace. And I'm telling you what, when you've experienced that, you know that there's nothing like it in this world. And that, my friend, is God's heart. That His Son, Jesus, would establish rest in the soul of one who actually lived in direct rebellion against Him. That is God's heart. So I want to review this with you. That we can know, if you look back at your outline, we can know and experience God's heart and we can find rest for our souls first if we will approach him and his word with the faith of a child. A simple exercise can be every time you come to God's word, throw your palms up and say, Father, please teach me today. Instead of depending on yourself, come with that palms up attitude. We know that we have to approach him like a child. We know that if we want to know God's heart, we have to look to his son, Jesus Christ. We look to Christ for salvation, but we look to Christ in our daily life, keeping our eyes fixed on him. And then lastly, we have to accept his invitation to come and take his yoke upon us and do life together with him. I've included in the outline, just to kind of close our time here, this hymn. And as I was preparing this and trying to understand God's heart of the matter, I had a little flashback. So my grandmother, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, um, she came to live with us through my middle school years and early high school years. And uh, if you've got somebody in your life who, who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, you recognize that there's a lot of ups and downs and it's, it's a long road. Uh, but my grandma was a believer in Christ. And uh, one of the things that as her mind began to slip, one of the things that did not slip were old hymns. And as I was preparing this, I remember her sitting in the recliner in our living room singing this song. And I thought, isn't that how God works? 
that he brings back to memory the things that he's put in your mind. It's so cool. So I share this with you. It's my grandmother. She was about 85, 86 years old. And she would sing this song because I think that it was deep, deep, deep in the root of her heart and her mind about this. Let's read. I'm going to read this to you. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into that crimson flood, it washes white as snow. Love this verse, here we go. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in him without delay. And you are fully blessed. Come then and join this holy band. And on to glory go. To dwell in this, that celestial land where joys immortal flow. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. And I leave that with you as an invitation. Where Jesus has come to you, me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. God's heart, friends, is to draw us into a closer relationship as we come to him with a simple trust as a child. And we look to Jesus. He says, come to me. If you're weary, come to me. And you'll find rest for your soul. And that is the promise that comes to Christ. And that's something that the world cannot offer. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Um, Forgive us. Uh, as we seek to approach you through rules and regulations, we seek to approach you in our own strength. We seek to approach you on our own. Pulling off the pages of your word, that w- the invitation is to come and trust you, only trust you. Help us to be a church family that are marked by trust. And Lord, today I, I don't say lightly uh, to the body here that there are some who are really suffering and struggling and going through hard things. I pray that through your spirit, as they come and trust you with the childlike faith and they look to Jesus and they come to you, I pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to them, that you would show yourself to them in your word and they would find rest for their souls. And Lord, a restful soul is worth more than anything in the world. Thank you for that. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.